Today's passage is going to be found in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. This is the word of God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is the word of God. Thank you, Ed. I know we're going to come to love you and appreciate what God is going to do through you here at uh, TCC. So welcome again. Well, I, uh, I feel like I need to introduce myself. My name is Ken. Uh, and my problem is uh, <laughs> I love sabbaticals. Uh, it's been great. We just returned home on Wednesday and uh, felt like a very long stretch away. Uh, it was wonderful. Awesome to be home, though, and uh, to, to join you in our collective wait for spring. <laughs> uh, we know it's, uh, we know, you know it's time to come home when your razor quits. I took my electric razor. We left on Christmas Day, and when I unpacked, I realized I had forgotten the electric cord, the cord uh, to plug it in and uh, recharge. So I only had one charge. I went for a week, and I thought, you know, I better get another razor. Uh, but I was too cheap to buy it, another one. And, and then I procrastinated, and uh, the razor was still working after three weeks. And I was using it every day. I know any day it's going to die. Well, the thing kept going. And on the very last day, no kidding, the day we packed up and left for home after my shave, it just quit. It went for six weeks on one charge. I am prepared to do a commercial <laughs> for Philips razors. They are incredible. But it was a confirmation that it's time to come home. When your razor dies, you need to come home. And it's great to come home to a family, to a, the TCC family. Uh, I just want to say thank you for making it possible for me to be away and for, for Mark and I to be away, to study, uh, to be quiet, to read, to reflect, to journal. Uh, I, and I know, Pastor Norb said, when you come back, I think I probably need to introduce you to the congregation because there have, have been many who have joined us in the last six weeks, and I haven't met you yet, but I'm looking forward to doing so and saying hello and and getting to know you. I'm especially grateful to our wonderful staff uh, who just pushed me out the door with briefcase in hand and said, get out of here, we'll just be fine. And of course, I knew that they would be uh, because we're just really blessed here to have a wonderful staff. And uh, they've just done a marvelous job adding something extra to their shoulders uh, and uh, carrying the load for me. So I'm very grateful. I want to say thanks to them. And thank you to Corey Anderson and to Kyra Hammer, and to Sid Page, and of course to Pastor Norb uh, for carrying the preaching load in these past weeks. I haven't had a chance to listen to all of those wonderful sermons, but I've heard great reports, and I want to thank you men for studying the text, uh, 
and for opening your heart to God and presenting your warm hearts for God to, to us. So that means so much. I've done a lot of reading, uh, about eight books, some journaling, some reflecting, uh, some times of prayer, special times with the family, and it, it's been awesome. I have to tell you, I read the old classic, I don't know if you've ever read this book, that uh, uh, Tina and Norb Amazon to me. It's called uh, Heinz Feet on High Places, uh, by, written by Hannah Hernert. And uh, wow, that is, uh, that is an old, old book, but uh, I'd never read it, and I knew that one day I wanted to read a book like that, and, and I get a, got a chance to do it. And what a blessing. It just took me to the mountaintop. So if you get a chance to read that book, I know it'll bless your heart. Read a book uh, by Lynn's friend, uh, Marie Monville a book that call, is called One Light Still Shines. And she tells the story of God's rescue in her life after her husband um, had a mental breakdown. And you probably recall the story. Uh, her husband killed six Amish children back in 2006 in Pennsylvania. And then he took his own life. And what a tragedy. But it's a moving story of how Marie works through all of this. And uh, it's a moving story of, of the forgiveness of the Amish people. And uh, what a story of Marie finding God's grace in her life and, and, uh, and, and now is making a difference in her world. Great book. Well, so much has happened. And so much does happen in six weeks. And, and in your life, in my life, and I'll save some of the stories for later because I don't want to use up my time that's devoted to the Word, and so I'm, I'm going to move into the Word now. And unless you're new this week, you'll know that we are in a series of messages from First John called Transforming Love. Uh, undoubtedly, you've heard a lot about love in these past few weeks, uh, and uh, that's really what John is noted for. It's a book of love. We're blessed to have this section of verses that Ed just read for us. First uh, John 4, verses 7 to 10. And I just want to invite you to hear God's heart this morning as we listen to Grandpa John's heart. Remember, he's an elderly man, well up in years. But he's still writing, and he's still going, and uh, he's still being faithful to his God. There are three things that catch our attention when we underscore this favorite word of John, and it's the word love. It's a word that gets used a lot, and it's going to get used a lot this week. Don't forget that Friday's coming, and maybe you just want to make a reservation somewhere nice, guys. Some of you maybe don't know what Friday is. Uh, uh, you're in big trouble if you don't. Just get a calendar. But three things. Number one is the source of love. Number two is the demonstration of love. And number three are the implications of love. And we're going to save this, uh, the third one, until next Sunday. But that's our roadmap for the next uh, few minutes and into next Sunday. Number one, the source of love. Verse seven, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. Listen to this. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
The origin of love is God. Now, because you've heard that so many times, it may not register with any great seismic thud. But from somewhere out in this great universe, a quality of life flows that literally makes this planet habitable. You know, it's said that we need three things to survive. Food, water, and shelter. And if you have those things, those three things, you can, you can make it. But there is another item that, if missing, would send this world into a tailspin very quickly, and that's love. Imagine a world without love. And I know that even though we look at the world and we say, well, it's, it's certainly less than loving and there's a lot of pain and a lot of tragedy, yet on the other side of the coin, you would be amazed at the amount of this ingredient called love in our world. I mean, it, it keeps the boat afloat. It keeps us going. There's enough in this world to keep us balanced. And I'm sure you caught the order of the words. It doesn't say, love is God. It says, God is love. We don't begin with love. We begin with God. If we begin with God, we know what we have. Because whatever God looks like is love. Things get a little confusing when we start the mumbo-jumbo that love is God. Love is a big word and a lot of meanings uh, to it. And we, we all put our interpretation into what love is. And, uh, and then we call that God. And when, if we do that, we're in big trouble. There's a philosophy in our world, and if you listen for it, it is easily heard. Uh, in fact, it's not very subtle. It's called oneism. Oneism. All is one. We worship and serve creation as divine. All distinctions must be eliminated, and through enlightenment, we discover that we are also divine. Ever heard that in some form or another? We're part of the big love circle. We're in the circle as originators of this love. It's in us. It's in us. We just have to pull it out, but it's there. As opposed to twoism, all is two. We serve and worship the eternal, personal creator of all things. God alone is divine and is distinct from his creation. Yet through his son Jesus, he is in loving communion with it. So God and his creation are separate. It's an important distinction. It's not love is God. Rather, it's twoism. God is love. Love comes from God and it looks like what whatever God looks like. The nature of God is that he is love. And the origin of love, this thing we call love, is God himself. Now, no other religion quite gets that. No other religion teaches that the uniqueness of God is that he is, his quality is, is love. He's often seen as a capricious God. Or that the gods are angry. But what a great truth that John reminds us of. That the very essence of who God is. His very nature is that he's love. Now I've often thought, and I've thought through the years. What if the God who, who made this world was actually a hateful, vindictive, vengeful God? I mean, 
how difficult and how challenging it would be to live in this world. You would have to tip through, to, through the world and, and you would be saying in your mind, don't make him mad. Don't get him upset. What a fearful, tragic way to go through life. Don't stir the hornet's nest. Don't wake the sleeping bear. Don't tantalize the tiger. Or the wrath of this great cosmic being will fall upon you. You would live in fear. Some of you may have grown up in homes where our impression of God was formed by our impression of our earthly dads. Boy, and does that ever complicate our view of God? And, and, and do you have to take some time and some years to work through what is God really like? Our culture has a framework for love. I mean, wherever you go, you, whatever, whatever you pick up to read, the message is often, love is sexual. I love you, I love you, I love you, which is code word for interested in sex. Our culture holds up love, I love you as long as you love me. I'll scratch your back, but you scratch my back. We love one another, but down below the surface, it's a selfish love. It's not a love that extends to strangers, nevertheless our enemies. It's not a love that asks the question, what can I do in the best interest of, of your life? How can I serve you? What do you need? How can I come alongside of you? It may cost me some money, it may cost me my time, it may cost me affection, but regardless, I'm willing to put you first, no strings attached. Uh, when we were uh, staying close to Desert Hot Springs, our next door neighbor has been very low. And Peggy has been caring for her friend, Carol, for the last number of years. Carol has a brain tumor. And uh, since she's uh, hanging on by a thread, uh, when we left, uh, we, we just heard uh, a couple days ago that she, she passed away. Peggy quit her job early so Carol could die in her home. Carol's only 63 years old. And, uh, but she didn't want to go to the hospital. So she, Peggy put her life on hold to care for her friend. And talk about love and a willingness to extend herself. She's an example of being there every day, day after day. She rearranged her home, putting the hospital bed in the living room so people can come in easily to see her, visit with her. And all the medical people you just watch and they're streaming in uh, three or four times a day to, to care for Carol. And, and Peggy's making it easy for them by having the hospital bed so accessible. And all of Peggy's life is on hold as she cares for her friend Carol. It wasn't a selfish love. She gave herself. God is love. And most of us have lived long enough to experience his love, even through correction. And maybe, maybe even these days you are experiencing some of God's correction in your life. He's correcting you. And, and you feel a little bit perplexed with that. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us, 
My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? Correction is never easy. But aren't you thankful for the way the Lord corrects and he loves us and he brings us back to his heart. It's only because he loves us. Parents, isn't parenting hard work? It's, it's, it's not easy. It's fun when everything is going well and we're just celebrating the good times. But the hard part of parenting is the constant discipline constant discipline so that our kids grow up with respect and dignity and tender hearts. If you're feeling distant from the Father's heart this morning, the one thing you can know, you can take to the bank, is that he loves you and that he wants the best for you. That his heart is not to wound you. His heart is not to throw you to the wolves. No, he wants to make a man or woman of God out of you. He wants to make a servant who learns to love and to give and to be his person in the world. We're in training. We're in training. But look at the heart of the trainer. Not capricious, not vengeful, but filled with grace and second chances. And he's patient and he has gentle words and he always says to us, come on, get back up. Get back. Keep going. Don't give up. Give me your anger. Give me your fear. Give me your pain. I'll carry it. What love. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. So a reminder this morning of of the source of love, the origin of love. It flows from the heart of God. Love is from God. And that tells us something about the nature of God. He's love. It is beyond our scope of understanding to realize that there is a God who made this world, a God who is very wise, very creative, very intelligent, very awesome, but he's also loving. He's also loving. Secondly, I want you to see the demonstration of his love. It starts in verse 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Never before in the history of humanity did we get a definition of love that looked like this. It has nothing to do with sex. It has nothing to do with selfishness. This is agape love. This is a sacrificial love. This is uh, not about words and not about feelings, but this is about action. This is about demonstration. This is about doing. You know, sometimes you just need someone to come and make it clear. And I have to say, Grandpa John the beloved writer can't get much clearer than this. 
writing to churches that were experiencing a lot of disunity, a lot of dis, uh, differences in theological understanding, and the pews were emptying, and it seemed like crisis time, and love seemed in short supply, and John speaks this heart, this word right from the heart of God. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take our, away our sins. I don't know, anyone here uh, read some of Brennan Manning's works, Abba's Child, uh, Ragamuffin Gospel? Uh, he, uh, he passed away not, not too long ago, maybe less than a year ago. And he's a very evangelical Roman Catholic priest. Uh, and very interesting how he got his name Brennan Manning. He used to be called Richard Manning. Uh, and growing up, he had a best friend by the name of uh, Ray Brennan. They did everything together. Uh, they even went to war together. And one night while sitting in a foxhole uh, in the Korean War, Richard was reminiscing uh, about the old days in Brooklyn. While Ray listened, he was eating a chocolate bar, and suddenly a live grenade came into the foxhole. And Ray looked at his friend. He gave a brief smile. He dropped his chocolate bar, and he threw himself on the live grenade. It exploded, killing Ray, but Richard's life was spared. And when Richard became a priest some years later, he was instructed to take on the name of a saint. And he thought of his friend, Ray Brennan. So he took on the name Brennan. And he became Brennan Manning. And years later, he went to visit Ray's mother in Brooklyn. And they sat up one night having tea when Brennan asked her, Do you think Ray really loved me? Not the right words to say to mother. Mrs. Brennan got up off the couch, shook her finger in front of Brennan's face, and shouted, What more could he have done for you? Brennan said at that moment he experienced an epiphany. He imagined himself standing before the cross of Jesus wondering, does God really love me? And Jesus' mother, Mary, pointing to her son and saying, what more could he have done for you? And that's the heart of John. What more could God have done for you than to show you he loves you? He sent his son to land on the grenade, to take the full force of death and sin. He jumped in front of us and said, this is to tell you, no, this is not to tell you, this is to demonstrate to you that I love you. I love you. I want you to be forever with me. This is the demonstration of love. Not just words, but action. People run around today trying to get love. They seek it in different ways. It becomes a sexual love. It becomes selfish love. And many are heartbroken trying to get love. Will somebody love me? Will somebody love me? I have good news. You already are loved. 
You already are loved. Pop psychologist says you can't love others until you love yourself. But we are loved. When we know that we're loved, that means all the difference in the world. We can care for others, we can care for ourselves, and self-care is good. But to think that you have to take care of number one first before you can love others is missing the point. The truth is we're already loved. The the love of God overflows from his heart and is life-changing as it comes into our hearts. What more could he have done? This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Every religion is built on a foundational premise of performance. You know, you have to do something in order to earn your spot. And the problem with that is that you never know when you've done enough, right? You don't have the peace in your heart that the deal is done and settled, and you come to the end of the, your road with a, without security, always doing, 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 and wonder if, if we met it. And the wonderful thing about the Christian faith is that you don't have to achieve, you don't have to perform, In fact, you didn't even start the conversation with God. God started it long ago when he sent his son to the planet. It's never been about us. It's about him. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. The prodigal son story in Luke 15 was such a pointed story for Jesus to tell to remind us that we grew up as rebels. We distanced ourselves from God. We said, who needs him? I mean, what does he do? Why would I put him in my life? What, what difference would it make? We can get along without him. And while we're in the midst of doing our thing, all the time, God is demonstrating his love, running out to the mailbox to watch for the prodigal son coming home. And we're off doing whatever we need to do to make us happy until we begin to figure out that our lives are falling apart, that we are not fulfilled, that there's a deep emptiness inside, that we are missing the real purpose in life. And then after a series of tailor-made circumstances, we bow the head and surrender our hearts and start to make our way home. And, you know, it's hard to come home. We're afraid to come home. Embarrassed. Filled with shame. Feeling very broken and vulnerable and expecting the meanest parent in the world to meet us at the door just to judge talk us for all we can imagine. And aren't we amazed when we see our Father waiting for us, running toward us, no intention to injure us, no intention to condemn us, but to offer us grace and a new start. It's an unusual love. Pastor Matt Chandler wrote about a time that he and a couple of his friends invited a young woman named Kim to a gospel concert. And Matt was hopeful that Kim would come to Christ that evening. And whatever came down that evening was just a train wreck. Chandler writes, The preacher took the stage and disaster ensued. He gave a lot of statistics about STDs. There was a lot of, you don't want syphilis, do you? His big illustration was to take out a single red rose. He took it, he smelled it, oh, what a beautiful rose, and he caressed it. And uh, he talked about 
the beauty of this rose and how it was freshly cut that day. And then he threw the rose out to the crowd and he encouraged everyone to take it and touch it and pass it around. And uh, then he, as he neared the end of his message, he asked for the rose back. But by now it was broken and, and drooping and the petals were falling off. And he held up this now ugly rose for all to see. And his big finish was this. Now who in the world would want this? And his words and his tone were merciless. And his essential message, which was supposed to represent Jesus' message to a world of sinners, was, hey, don't be a dirty rose. Matt didn't hear from Kim for a few weeks until one day her mother called Matt to inform him that uh, Kim was in the hospital. So Matt uh, immediately went to visit her. And in the middle of our conversation, seemingly out of nowhere, he writes, she asked me, do you think I'm a dirty rose? My heart sank inside of me. And I began to explain to her the full scope of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God wants every rose. That it's Jesus' desire to save and redeem and to restore all of us. That Jesus wants the rose. That he loves the roses. And friends, I want to just say this morning, I'm sorry if some of us as pastors have sent the wrong message. The message is, who would want a broken and bruised rose? God would. God would. No wonder John says, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he became the sacrifice to take away our sins. As a man, Jesus was the only person to live a perfect life. And as God, Jesus was the only one who would be qualified to bear the burden of the sin of all humanity. The only one whose sacrifice would be complete and sufficient. On the cross, God's justice was met by something only he could offer, his divine love. At the cross, God's love and justice kissed each other. And in Christ, a door of invitation opened. A door of invitation opened to all humanity. I find this to be incredible. Great love. Such wonderful love. It's not like God didn't know who we are. That we, he, we managed a snow job on God. Like, you don't really know me, but I'll, I'll take what you've got. He saw our capacity for selfishness. He knew that we were capable of doing the unthinkable. Not far from Palm Springs, as many of you know, the Interstate 10 runs right past Palm Springs and Palm Desert. That corridor is known to have the largest amount of human trafficking sex trade industry in the nation. Drugs are coming in that way to L.A. from Mexico. There is nothing we're going to discover about ourselves, the worst of humanity, that God has not already taken into account. God is never going to say, oh, if, if, if I'd have known that about you, I would have never given my life for you. He loved us, and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And the Lord has given us a helpful way to picture this great love. When he met with his disciples at the Last Supper, he illustrated the sacrificial love by two tangibles. 
piece of bread, and a cup. So when we receive these two tangibles in just a moment, I hope you'll just find some quiet space to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I love you. I love you. Because you first loved me, but I love you. The Lord's Supper is a time to remember and to say thanks. The Lord's Supper is a time to celebrate the past. And yet it's an opportunity to anticipate the future. The Lord's Supper lifts up Jesus Christ and reminds us that we're part of his body. If you have discovered the reality of Christ, his love living in you, I invite you to join in the celebration this morning. And if you're in the journey and you're still needing the time to process what it means to be a follower of Christ, please be comfortable to allow the bread and the cup to pass by. We value your personal self-examination and your honesty. We invite our servers to come now, if you would, as we distribute the bread, followed by the cup. And we're going to hold the elements until we can participate together. And uh, Bob Montgomery is going to come to the pulpit and lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving for the bread and for the cup.